All right. All right. Hello, Jenny. Hey, Leslie. So we are here to talk again, and I'm so delighted to see you and speak to you and get to catch up after it's been a couple of months, I guess. Yeah, it seems like it's just been a couple of weeks. I feel like this year is flying by. It really feels like that to me, too. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, for anybody who perhaps has been following this channel, you will recognize Jenny. We've had a couple of conversations previously about aspects of uh, counseling and counselor education that have been impacted by some of these ideological, um, I don't know, uh, influences in the therapy mm -hmm. field. And so we've had a couple of really great conversations about that. If you missed those, you know, feel free to go back and catch up because um, I think that uh, I, I really found Jenny's experience and, and insight and analysis of those topics really interesting. And so it's, it's a lot of food for thought. And Jenny reached out to me again recently uh, because she's been thinking about branching out and working um, outside of the, the counseling uh, umbrella as a coach and doing some coaching work. And so that's something that, you know, I'm doing myself and I have spoken with a number of people who are choosing that route. Um, typically, moving away from having been a therapist, moving away from their license and going into coaching because they see perhaps opportunity for flexibility there that they don't see within therapy or for actually just a variety of reasons. So I, I thought it would be really interesting to hear uh, Jenny's process um, and what this, what this looks like for her, why she's doing it and, um, and what, what she hopes to achieve with us. So Jenny, I, if you want to introduce that. Sure. I would love to hear. Yeah. So I'm actually, I am, I am keeping my license. I'm still doing clinical work. I really enjoy doing clinical work. Um, but it just so happened that I had some terminations at the end of last year, which opened up my schedule. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do, I wanted to do some other type of work in addition to the clinical work that I do. And I was really thinking a lot about our conversations and you know, just some of the podcasts I've been listening to. And what I'm noticing is, well, one, there's a population that tends to not necessarily need services, but, but could benefit from them. So, you know, kind of the worried well people who for the most part are functioning just fine in life, but they would benefit from some support or accountability um, from a listening ear, from a person who can help them clarify what's going on in their life and move them towards the life that they really wanna live. Mm -hmm. These are people who tend to not necessarily reach out for help because they're not in a crisis. They don't have a mental illness. They don't have symptoms that are negatively affecting their life, but they could still benefit from some help. Um, and so since I had some more availability and flexibility with my schedule, that allowed me to think about some options I could bring to the table for people like that. So I'm doing, I'm offering some individual sessions. I also am going to start some groups. Um, I have a guided journaling group. So if this is, you know, if you've ever wanted to journal or wanted to write and you, you know, you put pen to paper and then a block comes up. <laughs> You can, you can join the group and I have, I'll have a prompt. We'll have a couple of minutes to write for each prompt and then we can share. Just just a nice way to get the creative juices flowing to, to start writing things out. I think that we clarify our thoughts a lot by talking and by writing. 
Um, so that's a group that you could attend if you just wanted to get in touch with the creative side or even just have a group that you meet with weekly where there is a little bit of conversation and then there's also some personal work as well. And not like in a really super deep personal work way, but just just enough for somebody who's who just needs a little extra something. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm also going to start some kind of like book club slash accountability groups. Um, the first book we're going to go through is 12 Rules for Life. I don't know all the books we're going to go through this year. We're not going to, my, my vision right now is that we would spend four weeks on a book. And so that would be, you know, every week we come together to talk about what we're learning, how we're applying this to our lives, um, some roadblocks that are coming up and just have some peer support, some accountability um, to really, again, move people towards the life that they want to live, be the people that they want to be. Um, and show up responsibly in their lives. I think that there's a lot of self-esteem we can get from doing esteemable acts and from showing up as responsible adults. And that does not always get pushed in our culture all that frequently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, wow. so this will be kind of parallel for me. Mm -hmm. So during the day, it'll be, I'll do clinical work. Um, I'm licensed in Illinois. I'm also licensed in Texas, although I'll probably let that license lapse once it's, you know, once the I don't even know when the renewal cycle ends, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll still do clinical work in Illinois. And then I also wanted to do something else for there seems to be this population that is drawn to like your podcast or Benjamin Boyce's podcast, people who want to know that they can get help from somebody who's not going to be ideologically driven, who's not going to try to inject their views onto other people mm -hmm. or project their views, not inject. Mm -hmm. You don't want to inject things into other people. It's not good. <laughs> Generally not. <laughs> no, I think that's fantastic. And both of those groups that you're describing really appeal to me personally. I mean, I really mm -hmm. could see enjoying doing something like that. So I, I hope a lot of people will feel that same way and, and you'll get some, some great responses and some great participants who really are enthusiastic about that. I imagine you will, because it's, mm -hmm. it's really something you're describing there as you talk about and, and you use this this phrase that I heard a lot during counselor training the worried well mm -hmm. and um this so was talked about down upon in it's looked, it totally is yeah and that really <laughs> those people me. don't need any help exactly yeah, actually they do they do they're us they're mm -hmm. the people who are dealing with um relationship issues and mm -hmm. um and identity crises and, um, you know, lifespan development challenges that th throughout our lives, we come against mm -hmm. obstacles and um, self image issues and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's just so mm -hmm. varied, and they don't have to be mentally ill and, right. and mentally disordered in order to benefit from having somebody to help you do some pattern recognition and some clarification of self and clarification of identity and goals. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as a counselor trainee, <clears throat> that was the population I wanted to work with. You know, I always saw myself working with people who were fairly high functioning, but just experiencing normal life challenges. And mm -hmm. to hear that looked down upon and to hear that so one of the, the things that, that disturbed me about the medicalization of mental health is that like we were told when we would work with a, a person to whom we were assigned in school. So we would, we would randomly be assigned to other students in order to practice um, mm -hmm. therapy concepts or skills. 
um, we were told to diagnose them. Mm-hmm. And you were you were using the DSM and you're offering a, a real diagnosis and you're really going through the diagnostic process with mm-hmm. this person who is high enough functioning to be working as a- To not need a diagnosis. Counselor. Yeah, and what we mm-hmm. were told is, if you can't diagnose them, tell your instructor and we'll find a diagnosis for them because there's a diagnosis for every person. And yeah, and cannot, it would probably be adjustment disorder. Adjustment like that's disorder kind of a, a is generic yes. diagnosis for people yeah. who are like, I just started grad school and I'm really nervous. Yeah, about yeah. Adjustment, disorder. adjustment but, disorder. But really, is mm-hmm. that do you want that in your, I mean, I hate to say permanent file, but like, do you yeah. want that in your medical records that you have a mental illness when mm-hmm. you're just going through a transition in life that's difficult? Do you need a diagnosis? Yeah. yeah. And do we have to pathologize that? Do we have to mm-hmm. pathologize normal life events and normal mm-hmm. stresses? You know, I, I've got, I got a divorce or somebody died or, you know, something, it could be so many things. And yet, yes, you're right. Adjustment disorder, not otherwise specified stuff like that. It's just, mm-hmm. this is your, and it's in order to smooth the way for insurance billing mm-hmm. because the insurance needs to see the, the ICD-10 necessity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which yeah. also then opens up the possibility to prescribe so that mm-hmm. you can go to the next, if your counselor can't prescribe, but somebody else can, and you've got this diagnosis. And so it's just this like medical pipeline and mm-hmm. it's an over-medicalization of a process that I think, like you said, for people who don't feel like they're in a crisis of mental health, right? why would they want to avail themselves of that? And they, right. they may have to, if they want to seek, you know, a supportive talk therapist of, of some kind because mm-hmm. they want to use their insurance but there are people who don't want to use their insurance because yeah. there's again if you're using your insurance your insurance company will have access to your notes everything um, now hopefully therapists are writing notes in such a way that it's super generic so that your business isn't just out there mm-hmm. for an insurance company to see mm-hmm. um that doesn't always happen mm-hmm. no it's true and you know, I, I worked for a naturopathic clinic for a number of years and for, for a, a while, the insurances just wanted your CPT codes, which is mm-hmm. your procedure codes and your ICD nines at the time that ICD tens, mm-hmm. your, um, diagnostic codes, but they started to request full notes at some point. So we would have to send in the full Yikes. chart notes for the patient. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your insurance really does have access to as much as they demand to have access to. And you're not notified mm-hmm. of that as, as mm-hmm. the client or the patient that's between the provider and the insurance company. And they could be providing full notes on you. And yeah, so I guess that's just to stretch out the point, but you're right that there's a population that would like the supportive service, but doesn't need or want the medical attention, the medicalization. Right. And, and, they 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 don't need they don't need a diagnosis they don't need a treatment plan they don't need mm-hmm. they don't need services like that mm-hmm. um but it, boy wouldn't it be nice to have some supports in place so that you can maintain your level of functioning mm-hmm. because life is really hard you know you could be a caregiver to an aging parent you could have a child who's transitioning from high school into college you could have discord in your marriage there may be multiple factors that are causing stress in your life or that are just difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it would be really helpful to talk to somebody, but that doesn't need to, that doesn't need a diagnosis or it doesn't necessarily need anything long-term. It could be a peer support group that's helpful. It could be 
a couple of one-on-one -on -one sessions with somebody. Um, but there's, you know, I just saw after talking to you and after thinking about some things that this is, this is a population that a lot of times doesn't have services available because, yep. you know, they, they don't need it, mm -hmm. That's which really I get, point. you know, compared mm -hmm. to somebody who has full-blown PTSD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That person really does need clinical therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a different, it's a different kind of service environment altogether yeah. yeah it's a, yeah it's a different type of service it's yeah it's it's different needs and different services for those needs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you kind of envision this this parallel um career track for yourself do you uh do you want your focus to be mostly in group or do you also offer individual sessions I do offer individual sessions. Um, yeah, I used to work in a in an outpatient psychiatric hospital in a what's called PHP or IOP program. So these are day treatment programs um, for people, usually once they are discharged from inpatient. So it's hard to go from inpatient back to normal life. Mm -hmm. um, usually you need something to, to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And I loved running groups. And the, you know, these I mean, I did run therapy groups, but I, I ran a lot of psychoeducation groups. Um, I used to do this guided journaling group sometimes at this hospital setting. Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoy group settings. I miss doing that. I have no idea how I would even chart or bill for that in a therapy realm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so right now I'm, I'm looking at this primarily being groups, but I'm certainly I do offer individual sessions as well. And it, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how this may shake out. You know, mm -hmm. two years ago, I wasn't thinking of starting my own practice and then I did. So, mm -hmm. so you're just being kind of open to, mm -hmm. to whatever uh, possibility as it unfolds. Yeah. yeah. And what's the ideal size group? Oh, probably about six. Okay. I would say six to eight. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. usually, it's, it's big enough where conversation can flow, but small enough where everybody can have a chance to talk. Mm -hmm. How big are your solid ground groups usually? You know, it's, it's still sort of new. So things mm -hmm. are still, we're feeling it out at, or, well, I guess it's different week to week, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's the, I would say usually like eight ish mm -hmm. um, for mine, although I've had them get up larger we we had a larger group this last week was about 12 and then mm -hmm. I had to start I, I wasn't able to admit people past a certain number and we try to cap it at 10 really mm -hmm. isn't you know if if we are uh, at 10 it feels like going beyond that sort of stretches mm -hmm. the ability for people to feel like they can really participate but yeah. I've had them be really small before and that's really nice too you know mm -hmm. four or five people is really great um mm -hmm. So if yeah. we consistently get to the point where we're having to turn people away, like we're hitting that, that maximum and we're seeing that we're going to start opening up more group times because we want to mm -hmm. be able to continue to facilitate this, mm -hmm. you know, it's so, it feels like such a good um, experience for everybody involved. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and I could also see with my groups, like a guided journaling group could easily have more people because a lot of this is going, I mean, I will, you know, we're going to start with a warm up. Today I feel, and you write for three minutes and you put pen to paper and you just write, 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 write until mm -hmm. time is up. Mm 
And then there is time to share if you want. If you don't, you don't have to. And then we go on to the next prompt. And, you know, as we go on, there'll be more time to write. So a lot of this is just personal, individual, doing your own writing and a little bit of sharing. Mm -hmm. But when it's a when it's a book club, if we're working through a book like 12 Rules for Life or The Artist's Way, you know, a lot of these are more interactive where you're trying to make some changes in your life. And for that, I'd want, I'd want room for people to talk about, you know, what they're doing, what they're learning from this book, how they're applying it to their lives. Mm -hmm. Some of the, some of the roadblocks are running into um, mm -hmm. to actually have some time to talk about that. So yeah, I would say probably no more than eight mm -hmm. would be good. And for I'm, that. I'm picturing that you're probably going to do this as a closed group so that it facilitates the connection mm -hmm. between members, not a drop-in group. Right. For the book okay. club, it wouldn't be a drop-in group. For guided journaling, I could easily see that as a drop-in. Oh, okay. again, it's, it's so into, you know, you're writing most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, our solid ground groups are drop-in groups. So it's a little bit different flow. We don't know who will come week to week and there's no commitment. So mm -hmm. You can come to as many groups as you like or as few and mm -hmm. you just have access to them so it's a it's a little bit of a different model not as structured mm -hmm. but, but it is fun it's really interesting and the group interaction is um i i really like it i'd love to have more experience doing it in a more therapeutic setting mm -hmm. which i i only got, got a little bit of experience about with that in school but it was enough to see that there's a lot of possibility there and there's a lot of potential for um, real, um, I guess, real therapeutic benefits mm -hmm. of, for from supportive groups like that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, if people have had, you think about difficulties people have in their life when there are ruptures in relationships or when relationships have not gone well, and that could mm -hmm. include relationships with parents or family of origin. Um, you can have, you can heal some past hurts through having a really healthy, healthy boundary relationship. Mm -hmm. And it gives you that opportunity to experience that in a capsule mm -hmm. within this group, which is a, a, a boundary setting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And speaking of groups, you were talking, this, this is taking a, uh, a tangent, but you, mm -hmm. you had some interesting ideas that uh, I guess some things you've been chewing on lately about reality denial. Mm -hmm. And you gave me an example and mm -hmm. do you, I, and, and it's, a, it's another group. So uh, I'll go ahead and share my screen in a second okay. and so we can talk about it, but would, mm -hmm. would you sort of start us off with a little bit of this, the intro to your thoughts on where mm -hmm. we are with denial of reality? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm just, when I'm thinking about what's happening in our culture right now and some of the difficulties people are having in life, I, in my mind, there's a big part of this that's rooted in people's unwillingness to accept reality of life or to deny reality. Um, so I'll just give you a personal example. At the, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was, I mean, I was terrified because we, I had no idea what this was and I when my anxiety is really high, I tend to 
revert back to like obsessive compulsive tendencies. And so there was a lot of sanitizing everything. And there was like, this was socially, it was like socially acceptable OCD. Mm-hmm. And as the pandemic went on, like it, that's just unsustainable. And, and I kept, what I came to realize was I had difficulty accepting the reality of the possibility of getting ill, possibility of dying. I mean, the, the reality of dying, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was part of me that, that really thought if I do the, you know, if I, I don't know, if I sanitize my bag of chips or if I sanitize everything that I, I can avoid this illness. And that's not, that's not realistic. It becomes a ritual. Right. And, and it's, it's really this ritualized magical thinking that's helping you get through the anxiety of Mm -hmm. the anxiety that comes from dealing in the real world, which is we are all going to get sick. Mm -hmm. Um, and for some people, it's not going to be a really good time. Um, but I also saw this denial of reality. There, there wasn't a push, you know, with, in 2020 that I did not see a lot of health professionals really talking openly to people about what they can do individually to help themselves have a healthier immune system, a stronger immune system to fight these things off. Mm -hmm. That wasn't really discussed. That wasn't, that wasn't pushed on people like, you know, get outside, get some exercise, take vitamin D. Um, If you are heavier, you know, change your eating habits so that you can, your weight can be in a more normal or healthy range. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't see that. And even with um, gender medicine, there's this, this push in our culture of like trans women are women, trans Mm -hmm. men are men. Well, no, they're not. And it's not nice to tell people that they are, it's not nice to lie to people. Mm -hmm. There are people who really do have gender dysphoria to a point where it is negatively affecting their lives to a point where it's incredibly distressing for them. Mm-hmm. And to have a realistic conversation with those people of, you know, let's look at all the factors that contributed to this. Let's mm-hmm. look at the different ways this is affecting your life and what are some options to help you with this. One of those options might be hormones or some surgeries. That's one option. Mm-hmm. And also know that with that option comes these risks, just like with another option of exploratory therapy that comes along with risks too. Mm -hmm. Um, But there doesn't seem to be, I I don't see people just grappling with, with reality in the way that I guess I think they should. I don't know. What do I know? No, it's really interesting the way that you're describing this because you're talking about like in the beginning of the COVID era we had you said um like socially acceptable ocd it's almost like it was socially compelled ocd you know Mm -hmm. like you must engage in these things like we we now see that um you know the evidence was there all along but it just piles up piling and piling up that masks were never of any real benefit Mm -hmm. and yet it was compelled and enforced that we Mm -hmm. must engage in this ritual the sanitizer that's everywhere the sanitizing that we were doing or people were doing before they touched their like you say you know people would leave their groceries on the porch for so long before bringing Mm -hmm. them into the house and spray them down before they brought them in and you know all these things were were not only acceptable but they were being um, endorsed and even compelled 
and mm-hmm. yet they are of dubious value. They are psychological rituals that don't, mm-hmm. that, that sort of give the individual or the community a sense of control because just like with any ritualized behavior, right. it's, it's saying I can't control certain things, but I can control this and I can do right. this. And this, this relieves my anxiety, as you say, because it's, it's something that I can do. I can put, you know, do these steps. And yet there are things that we can actually do that can't control, but can influence mm-hmm. and can increase our, our, make our odds better. Like mm-hmm. you say, with improving your health, doing certain supplementation, getting enough some sleep, sunlight, getting enough sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but those are not the quick fix. Those are not the, the potent ritual. You can do this right now and feel better. Those are hard work and incremental. And that's what we seem to really be moving away from is that, that encouraging that kind of self-efficacy and that sort of agency in what we actually can influence within our lives because that it, it doesn't, it still doesn't come with any guarantees, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, well, yeah, there is no guarantee in life and mm-hmm. we're all going to get sick at some point, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether it's like I had COVID at the beginning of the year, it was a week where I didn't feel well. And I'm, yeah. I'm grateful that it was the beginning of this year and not in 2020 in March of 2020, when it may have been worse, you know, yeah. the strain was different. Um, but yeah, we're, we will all get ill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's very true. And so this, this kind of awareness that you've been, um, it's been an increasing awareness of like these ways that we are culturally engaging in some denial of reality, as you put it, denial, it's like mm-hmm. this denial of mortality, denial of mm-hmm. uh, personal vulnerability or yeah. yeah yeah denial of the reality of of sex not of like sex, yeah. mm-hmm. having sex but of like <laughs> yeah yeah human like right dimorphism you know right sexual dimorphism yeah mm-hmm. yeah definitely and so it was within all of this framework that you um that you are starting to receive like cmes and stuff uh, like continuing education flyers and stuff and this was one of the mm-hmm. things that you sent on to me mm-hmm. do you want to do you want me to share that and we can talk about it yeah i bit? can do okay. a little setup so okay. i got a flyer um i i do some work with people who have eating disorders and so i'm in the eating disorder treatment world um and i also have i have very different opinions from a lot of what's pushed in eating disorder treatment and so i got this flyer um for it's a consultation group and it's specifically for fat therapists okay well, I'll pull that up here. Mm-hmm. So I'm sharing my screen now. And this is the flyer that, that Jenny received. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of just calling yeah, all I can go that through it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a consultation group specifically for fat therapists. Um, and I'm in a couple of consultation groups and I find consultation groups incredibly helpful. I think it can be really helpful to be in a group of people where you have some kind of shared something, whether it's, you know, it's a consultation group just for therapists, or it's a consultation group just for EMDR therapists, or it's a consultation group for people who work with adolescents. Mm -hmm. So I can totally see why somebody who's fat might want to hang out with other people who are fat, who are not going to 
make comments about weight or size or what this person's eating, because that does happen to people. You know, there are people who take all sorts of, they take it upon themselves to, to judge how people look. And that has to suck. So I understand why, why people might want, want to get together with other people in who have, who are also fat. Mm -hmm. Um, what struck me was that, you know, they're, they're going to talk about existing caseloads and they're using an anti-oppressive, queer, trans-affirming, fat liberation lens. And you and I, Leslie, have talked about how when people are, are trying to do therapy through those lenses, it tends to take people away from good clinical work um, because they're seeing, they are seeing their clients or themselves in an oppressed or oppressor category. Mm -hmm. It tends to really narrow the scope of focus that you have. Um, if somebody is, is coming in and they are distressed about something in their lives, if you are looking at it through some of these social justice lenses, you may end up looking at, you know, how, how is a harm being done to you is, you know, is somebody in your life oppressing you in some way, mm -hmm. as opposed to that can absolutely be happening. And there may be some things going on with you internally that, that are making your life difficult. This could be your thought patterns. This could be behavior patterns. Um, these are things that can also lead to difficulties with mental health. And yeah. that gets pushed aside mm -hmm. if you're just looking at things through a social justice lens. Yeah. So that stood out to me. Um, well, and then the preset filters, if you're mm -hmm. examining all of your clients through a preset filter, it really limits what you're going to uncover and find and the way in which you're going to be biased around what you're uncovering and finding. It's like you are, you're, you're limiting your lens from the get-go and how mm -hmm. much utility is that going to be for that individual at that point? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the other thing that stuck out to me was the, this flyer has one sentence about addressing clinical questions. And then underneath that, um, there's a lot of information about what it's like to cope and address anti-fatness mm -hmm. with clients and colleagues in organizations and professional networks at trainings and events um, and in the world. And so they're going to focus on personal and professional boundaries around anti-fatness, grappling with their own internalized anti-fatness and applying fat liberation principles. Um, so it sounds like the, the veneer is a consultation group for cases, but it really sounds like what's happening is this is a support group, which is fine if you want a support group. Yeah. Um, but again, getting back to this push to deny reality, I work with people with eating disorders. So mm -hmm. I've worked with people at all, at all ends of the spectrum. I've worked with people who are underweight. I worked with people who are very fat, morbidly obese. Um, there are medical issues and mental health issues that happen when people are under a weight that is healthy for their bodies. And there are also some medical issues that can arise when people are over the weight that is healthy for their bodies. And what I'm noticing is this push to deny what happens on this end of the spectrum 
you know, any, any clinician that I've worked with will, I've never heard anybody deny the reality of problems that can crop up because somebody is underweight. Yeah. But there does seem to be a denial about problems that can come up when somebody is overweight. Mm -hmm. Um, And addressing that is, it's a pendulum swing because it's, it's saying, yes, we shouldn't be filled with body shame and right. we, we yeah. shouldn't hate ourselves because we don't fit yep. some ideal. Yes, that's Good. true. And yes, we should mm-hmm. work on self-acceptance while we also navigate what our own goals are in terms of mm-hmm. our, not only our, our fitness level, our appearance, whatever our goals may be, mm-hmm. we, sh- we should be able to work towards those goals without being riddled with shame. And, right. and we should decrease the stigma but also do you throw all of that into this other camp and go completely to the polar side and say, there's absolutely no concern. Right. And that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this, um, this belief of it's not, it's not fatness that's causing medical problems. It's anti-fat bias. And I know people who will not go to the doctor because they know they're going to get a lecture from their doctor. Mm-hmm. So there is absolute truth in anti-fat bias that will affect a person's health if they're not going to seek out medical care when they need it. Yeah. That's absolutely true. And at the same time, if you're having difficulty sleeping because because you're so large and it like I've had clients tell me my breasts are so big it feels like I'm suffocating when I lie down at night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm that person would benefit from weight loss Mm -hmm. and would probably need to do it in a really careful way. If they've had a long history of dieting, yo-yo dieting, if they have really black and white dichotomous thinking about food, you know, there's, there's a piece of that that's, that's really rooted in some kind of mental illness. It would have to be done in a really safe and slow way, Mm -hmm. but to deny that is not helpful. Like I've, I have a difficult time finding dietitians who are eating disorder informed who will work with people with intentional weight loss. I, mm-hmm. It's hard for me to find that. Really? Um, wow. Because, because yeah, it's because, so unpopular right now to, to want to lose weight. Right. Because right now it's um, what I hear is I'll hear dietitians say, I don't do intentional weight loss. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. And so in my mind for, I'll take a few minutes just to talk about some like eating disorder treatment history, but yeah. um, in the past, anorexia got so much focus, which makes sense. It, there's a, a big, there's a high mortality rate. Um, and these are people who can have major medical problems because of an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And, and we live in a culture where thin is thinness for the most part has been very highly valued, especially in the past. Um, you know, people would maybe come for help and they wouldn't be in a small body. They'd be in a more like a, a normal size body or larger body. And then they wouldn't get, they wouldn't get the treatment that they needed because, because doctors would minimize what they were going through. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't take them seriously. So there is a reason why some of this has come up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this, some of what I'm seeing with health at every size or some of what I'm seeing with body positivity, it can be helpful for people who've struggled with a restrictive eating disorder and who tend to be very Mm over-controlled, you know, having, 
just having much more flexibility with food, having much more flexibility with your understanding of what a healthy weight is and what that means for you, that can be really helpful mm -hmm. for people like that. Mm -hmm. For most people, um, intuitive eating or health at every size is probably is probably going to lead to higher body weight that's not actually healthy for that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not throwing it all away, but mm -hmm. There are some people that it would be helpful for, and then there are a lot of people that it wouldn't be helpful for. Um, well, it's just like most most issues when you when it comes mm -hmm. to people and psychology and life are much more complicated than either all this or all that. It's mm -hmm. it's really a more nuanced discussion that takes a lot of individual factors into consideration. And and what you're describing and what this what this anti or the fat liberation principles and this this whole movement uh around you know uh, shunning the idea of intentional weight loss it's very similar to the reality denial um examples that you gave in the beginning of this dialogue mm -hmm. um because it's taking the fact that we can't control certain things and it's it's kind of distorting that through a ritualistic and psychological lens instead of giving people tools to actually maybe maybe not control completely because we have to let go of the idea that we can control everything but to actually have some agency yeah to do to, to make positive changes in their lives right. whether we can control it completely or not we can make some positive changes so to chalk it mm -hmm. all up to this is just a psychological dysfunction in the culture. We should not be discriminating. We should not see this as a negative thing. We need to change that so that it's just mm -hmm. a positive thing mm -hmm. without any regard for underlying, um, you know, health concerns. Right. So it's, it's just oversimplifying mm -hmm. and distorting things and denying reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's crazy making. It is crazy making. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, the, I, I, It, if I were to bring this up with some other eating disorder professionals, I know it would be like me trying to go into a Christian church and saying something like, Jesus Christ really is not your Lord and Savior. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just not going to go over yeah. well. It's yeah. not going to, you know, if you really truly believe this in your heart, nothing is going to persuade you. Mm -hmm. um, and again, well, and there's like, this faith-based aspect to all of this as well. Right. And I think my perspective is, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but I think my perspective is fairly nuanced, um, but it would absolutely be seen as anti-fat mm -hmm. and that I would need to check mm -hmm. my fat phobia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I also know as a person who, you know, I'm, I'm heavier than my body really would like to be. I know this, my knee tells me. My right mm -hmm. knee tells me mm -hmm. <laughs> like, there, there are things that I know I can change that would make my life better. Mm -hmm. um, and I even had, a, I had an experience a couple of years ago where, you know, I decided to go see a dietitian, but it was an eating disorder dietitian. And so she was like, this is great. This is fine. You're doing great. And then my doctor was like, oh, we can put you on this medication and you can come in and get these infusions. And I'm like, I, where's the middle ground? Yeah. Here? Like I don't want to do either one of these things. Right. I don't yeah. want, I don't want this like, oh no, you're yeah. doing great. I don't want that, but I also don't want to go on a medication. Right. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to find some real talk. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Real people, like real clinicians or real providers who can just deal with the reality of life. Yeah. I think that's very, yes, absolutely. And just um, one more thing I'm going to share. I'm going to share my screen one more time because this, this jumped out at me when I was looking at this flyer and it's not a major point, but it just seems to tie in so well is like right here, mm -hmm. masks and masks required mm -hmm. for this group. That's why, I mean, is this about health? Because now we, we, we know some things about this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, again, evidence-based discussions are missing from the equation. There's no, it's just, it's ritualistic and it's all being mm -hmm. distorted through a very, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm gonna work on articulating this because there's a lot of thoughts that this, that this conversation is bringing up that I'm struggling to really put together in a smooth way, but I think that you've brought up something that is a really intriguing recognition of a pattern mm -hmm. that really helps to kind of crystallize what's going on mm -hmm. and what these different, these seemingly disparate movements have in common and how it's, it's a part of a larger uh, cultural refusal to kind of come to grips with the reality of our mortal life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even, yeah, just the reality of life of like a man is never going to be a woman. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Now a man who has severe gender dysphoria, severe enough where the risks of hormones or surgeries, this person's willing to take them on. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, those hormones and surgeries may end up helping this person navigate life better. That doesn't right. mean that he's become a woman. Yeah. Um, it means he appears, maybe appears more like a woman mm -hmm. and absolutely nobody should be bullied or ostracized or, um, or targeted or harassed. Um, oh. but again, that person is not a woman and, mm -hmm there is something to be said about the reality between men and women and that need for single sex spaces. And that mm -hmm. there's, there's a reason we have this. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and within, within that idea, there's the idea. So just as a person shouldn't be targeted, bullied, harassed for their choices and the way that they want to live their life. Also that just because that's true, it doesn't make it true that people who have trouble accepting this or don't want to accept it or barely tolerate it or have their own feelings around it should be targeted, bullied and harassed. I mean, there's, right. there's a, there's this, like this, this thread that goes from acceptance to from tolerance to acceptance, to embracing. Right. To, and we are jumping. You are compelled to, yeah. and if you're not, or celebrating, and if you're not celebrating, well, celebrating, that means that yes. you're, you're against that group. I think that's a better word, celebrating. So tol tolerance, acceptance, celebration. Mm -hmm. So we are skipping the idea of tolerance or even acceptance in mm -hmm. a lot of these cultural issues. Like you said about your your views on, on uh, weight as it relates to health, mm -hmm. very nuanced. Mm -hmm. It's a really complex topic. You give it a lot of compassionate thought and you don't fall down on one side or the other. You fall down on the, on the side of the individual making their own choices with full mm -hmm. informed, you know, uh, 
information available to that person. And mm-hmm. yet there are people who would look at that and say, that's fat phobic. And that's mm-hmm. because they aren't seeing that middle ground of acceptance and, and, and nuance. They're jumping straight over to, you're not celebrating it. So therefore you are intolerant. Mm-hmm. It's this, it's like a false equivalency yeah. and it's happening it's, all over the place with gender, right. with, with all these topics. Yeah. It's a very, it's us versus them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not, if you're not with us and you're against us, mm-hmm. um, and there may be some people who aren't with your group and that doesn't mean they're against you. Yes. Yes. Well said. I think that uh, it's, it, it's really in line with, with my perspective on this as well. It's just that we, we don't have to allow ourselves to be polarized. Mm-hmm just because we don't agree with one side of an argument doesn't mean that we are on the other side of the argument. Sometimes we can see yeah. a little bit of both and sometimes we're somewhere squarely in the middle. Yeah. And that's one of the things I want to do, especially with book club is talk about what we disagree with. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're, if we're reading a book for you know, personal development or self-help um, there may be some really good nuggets of information, some things that are helpful there may be some things that we disagree with and mm-hmm. that's fine to have a space where people can disagree with the author. People can disagree with each other. We don't have to take it personally. We don't have to get offended. It could be okay just to talk about it and to have a difference of opinion mm-hmm. and to not have to feel like you have to die on a hill. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's missing in a lot of, um, a lot of these conversations. So I'm, I think the people who are, um, I, you know, come to your groups are really going to benefit from being able to engage that way. I hope so. I hope it's really a good experience for you and, and for your clients. And, um, I will put in the notes beneath this video, all the links where you can find Jenny and find what she's doing. Um, do you want to go ahead and say them out loud as well? Yeah. So if you're interested in coaching, I do coaching nationwide. So anywhere in the States, um, I do it primarily through Zoom, but you can find me at realtalkwithjenny.com. I'm also at realtalkjenny at gmail.com. Um, if you're in Illinois or Texas and you're looking for therapy services, uh, you can contact me at my email info at jennyrogerstherapy.com. And then um, my website for therapy is jennyrogerstherapy.com. Excellent. Well, I I really applaud what you're doing. And I think it's fantastic and really going to benefit your clients. And thank you. I am so glad that you shared it with us here. And uh, I really look forward to checking back in with you at some point in the future and hearing how it's been going for you and what your experience is like. And we can talk more about the contrast, like what, what similarities and what differences are you finding in Mm -hmm. doing the clinical work versus the the coaching work? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Um, I appreciate your time. I, have enjoyed all of our conversations. I love following your YouTube channel. I was listening to you and Christine talk today. It's, it's been really nice. So I I really appreciate what you're doing in this space. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for being a part of it. Thanks Leslie. Yep. Thanks Jenny.